Welcome, welcome back to the to the F one Fun Cast. We're here to make Formula One fun for all you new, medium, and old time fans. I am James at F one Fun Cast on Gmail, Instagram, and Twitter. Joined as always, or as usually, by the crew chief Connor Gagnon at Connor Gagnon on Instagram. Give him a shout, and uh, we're gonna be talking to you about the two thousand five. U.S. Grand Prix debacle today with a little taste of what's to come in Baku. So thanks for joining us, Connor. Thanks for jumping on. How's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. It's good to be back. It's oh, it's good to have a. It's good to be race week again. I'm so happy it's race week. It felt like forever. That's yeah. That's really what I. Uh, let's talk about that. What? How did you? How did you get through the last few weeks without? Um, um I watched a lot of Formula One videos as far as different pages that i follow or different like obviously the f1 uh, youtube channel you know tons of good videos on there um honestly just kind of counting down the days <laughs> it's been it's been, it's been a struggle but i've been you know i've been watching i've been watching you know indycar had their race in long beach last weekend um so i was watching that and the yeah so that was really it I wish I'd gotten up to that. That would have been a good time, right oh, up the road. Man, it, it was awesome. Uh, Grosjean came in second again, for like the third or fourth time. He's, so was he he knocking on the door of a win? Yes, absolutely. He he's been knocking on the door of a win every year that he's been in the sport. He's only been in for two or three. I think this is his third year in IndyCar. He's been knocking on the door of a win every season, pretty much. He doesn't have one yet, huh? That's crazy. No, that's it's, crazy. It's coming though. It's coming. So, yeah, I mean, I noticed online a lot of people just having, not meltdowns, I would say, but maybe like starting to melt down a little bit over the last couple of weeks with not having a race, not having uh, <laughs> well, anything to look you, forward you to. You start to run out of things to talk about. It's true. It, there's it's, only so much, I mean, even on the like the social media pages for all the different teams, like they were even running out of stuff to post. They were like, yep, I don't know. I don't know what to post anymore. So <laughs> I know it's like, uh, here's Charles Leclerc playing the piano for a little bit. Enjoy that. You know, it's like, well, uh, the, the thing is that last weekend, I think it was last weekend was supposed to be the Chinese Grand Prix, but uh, you know, they had to cancel that again this year. Unfortunately. I mean, I, I can't wait to go back there. I love that track. Um, so do a lot of the drivers, um, what about that track do you like so much? What is it that appeals to you? It, it has a lot of good flow to it. Um, it doesn't always provide the best racing, but it's fun to watch the cars drive around that track. Um, it has a very, very long back straight. The first couple of corners, two or three corners, um, the complex is very uh, tricky, and it requires a lot of skill. It kind of... it's. I think it's what we call a decreasing radius corner where it starts out, you know, you can go into it pretty quick, but as it goes to the right, it slowly gets tighter and tighter and tighter until you have to be like, be really, really slow going through the second part of it. And it drops you down into a really sharp left-hander that kicks you out onto a high, little high speed section before a hairpin. So it's, it's fun to watch the cars tackle that. Wow. Wow. And they didn't have it. Are they? Is it on the schedule for next year, or is it kind of on hiatus? You know, it it should be. It's been on hiatus since the COVID outbreak. Oh right, right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we're not here talking about China today. No. We're we're talking uh, even even worse in this situation was the 2005 
U.S. Grand Prix. Maybe a race that should have been canceled, actually, now that we're talking about canceled races. But I mean, uh, that was definitely, you know, it could have been a possibility. But I think given the circumstances and given how late that it was, um, you know, they had practice and qualifying. They couldn't just cancel it on the day of the race with everybody there. It's 400,000 people that are waiting for a race that can you imagine? they're not going to get. Oh, man. Right. And all those tickets and all those. I mean, so so let's kind of let's talk about that. I'll set the set the scene here. Well, for Sunday, I know that the race was held on uh, June 19th, 2005. Um, it was a balmy 77 degrees or 25 degrees Celsius for our uh, for our non-American in, people. Yeah, our non-American <laughs> for the rest of the world. It was 25 yes, degrees everybody Celsius. everybody but us. Um. And they, they were in Indianapolis for this one at the, yep. was it the Indy Motor in, Speedway? Is that the? In, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yeah, yeah. And so at the time, heading into, to the, well, let's, the, what do you know about uh, the practices and the qualifying leading up to Sunday? I've got a lot on Sunday, but so what was the. Uh, there is a lot of, you know, going back the previous year um, in 2004. Four, Ralph Schumacher had another accident when he was driving for Williams at the time. Uh, in the same corner, same kind of situation where the left rear tire failed. Um, and he ended up having a really bad accident and got pretty severely injured, if I remember correctly. Um, so oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that there had oh, been yeah. a previous year. It was um, it was a mirror it was a mirror image of the accident that he had in practice in two thousand and five, wow. um, and so this, again two thousand five, same corner turn thirteen, uh, coming out of the infield section up onto the banking, um, through Indianapolis turn one, left rear tire failure, sends him into the wall, and he's out for the rest of the weekend. So that was during practice. That was uh, yep. or was that qualifying? That was. That was during practice, and then, oddly enough, his backup, Ricardo Zonta, uh, he had the same same issue, again, in another practice, where he had a left rear tire failure, and he went up into the wall, and at that point, it was kind of like, holy crap, we need to pay attention to this, as far as all the Michelin teams went. So that was the triggering, that was the triggering incident that kind of got everyone's eyes open, seeing there's something wrong here. And yeah, I, th- I think that that really got Michelin's attention as far as what was going on with their tires. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot that was involved with that. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's fascinating because as I'm looking at it and I see that like heading into the weekend, we had, you know, Fernando Alonso was leading the way in the drivers and Renault was leading for the constructors. And those are both, uh, those are teams and drivers that didn't make it through the weekend right those those are those are both michelin yep. sp- sponsored cars so so, so the- there is only there's only three teams running bridgestones um ferrari jordan and minardi were the only teams running bridgestones um mclaren toyota renault bar honda sauber red bull and bmw williams were all running michelins so they were all running Michelins, and they so the practice crash happens, and they all realize immediately there's something with the tires. This so so what was it? The banking on that turn was too steep, too much of a, a grade for the tires they came with, or what was the so, exact issue? 
so the year before the as the asphalt had been redone. Uh, I'm not sure if it was just in that corner or if it was the entire circuit. I would assume the entire circuit. I think it was. Um, I saw they were th- diamond grinding, right? That's what they did? Uh, yes, diamond grinding. And by doing so, the surface gets a little bit more abrasive than it was the year before. Um, and when you're going through a corner like that, the speeds that they were, there's a lot of force and a lot of pressure that's generated on those outside tires. So like, if you're turning right a lot of the pressure is on that left rear and left front tire. So it generates a lot of heat going not just through the tread itself, but up into the sidewalls. And those sidewalls can only take so much before something catastrophic catastrophic happens. Um, When you get tires too hot, you can either lose a lot of grip, which is what we see a lot of, these days or in previous generation of cars where they would overheat the tires, you lose a lot of grip. Another thing that happens is you affect the structural integrity of the sidewalls and of just the tire itself. Um, because they weren't really designed for running on a baking like that because, you know, there's just a little bit extra forces at play. Um, and was that the only, is that the only, um, track that year or track in general that had that that steep of a bank that um you know was it an issue anywhere else in general or was this a uniquely nope. american it was a problem? it was a, it was a unique issue to indianapolis indianapolis runs 9.2 degree bankings in all four corners um so you know it doesn't sound like it's that big of a incline but if you look at the footage from that event or if you look at any like current indy 500 you can see that you know those cars are at a decent incline it's not just like they're level on the ground um so there's a little bit extra involved what a what an interesting place to be in after that practice when they're realizing the michelin tires are no good for this weekend and they've got to uh we've got to figure out how are we gonna how are we gonna get through the weekend to satisfy the fans and also be safe and you know, try to try to put your product, put your teams out there, but also knowing that you have this fatal flaw. I can't imagine the the conversations going on behind the scenes trying to get this Grand Prix underway. So did each, but then, so that doesn't pose a problem for qualifying, right? Because you're not going out running 10, 15 laps during qualifying. You're running a couple hot laps. And because I was looking at the qualifying and it seemed like they had a full a full grid everybody participated yeah every everybody participated in qualifying i think just because of the the low risk as far as running one or two laps but you have to remember in 2005 um the regulations had changed and you were only allowed to run one set of tires the entire race so whatever tires you qualify on you have to run during the race the entire way right um right so there is a lot of talk with Michelin saying, Hey, our tires are not going to last this race distance. Um, they went to the FIA and Bernie Ecclestone and they were talking about, you know, trying to work a deal as far as what they can do. And one of the things that they came up with or the FAA suggested is that they can, all the Michelin teams are allowed to take pit stops, but it's going to come with a penalty since you're not technically supposed to be able to do that. Um, but in the interest of safety, you'd be allowed to do a couple of pit stops during the race. 
And would they still have penalized them? Like, okay, but we're all going to take these penalties, so it kind of brings all our times. Or was it like they were going to give them a free pass on it just that weekend? Do you know about that? Because it's it, they had a lot of funky ideas of how they were going to try to make it work. And yeah, I mean, I'm not so sure on that, but I did I did see that you know they were going to suggest putting in a chicane, right? Um, between right. turns twelve and thirteen. The FIA really but, put their foot down on that one, right? FIA didn't, but the only the other part of that was that Bridgestone wouldn't agree to it because they were probably thinking, "Hey, our tires are fine. We can, you know, we can run the track as it is. Why do we feel the need to change it?" Because, you know, obviously because Bridgestone's main supplier or Bridgestone's main customer was Ferrari, and Michelin's main customer was Renault. So those are the two top dogs in the championship. So of course, yeah, Bridgestone's going to go. Hey, we don't want to change this up and give potentially give them an advantage or a or a way to gain points. Like that's just not going to work. So they put a stop on it immediately. Right, as they should, because you know if you show up with an engine part that's failing on you, you've got to adjust or withdraw. Why? Why do tires? I mean, I know it's a safety thing, but suppose it was you know you had. Some sort of, I don't know, anything else wrong with the car. It's on you to figure out a way to work it. It's not on the other teams to help you out exactly. or to make concessions. Yeah, Exactly. It, it wasn't Bridgestone's fault that Michelin couldn't provide a tire that would be able to handle that. I mean, Bridgestone hadn't had any issues that year the year before. Michelin was the only ones that had these issues. So it was obviously something to do with either the way that they were setting up the car or the tire itself. Um, I remember there also being discussion about Michelin telling the teams that they had to be limited to a certain speed through that corner um, in order to not destroy the tire or generate too much heat. But then, then you're playing, you're, you're driving at a handicap really compared to the teams. Oh, yeah. And, and it was, you're in a title fight. You're trying to, it's a competitive sport. It's not something where you're just out there for exactly. fun. So. And, and especially especially on that corner too, because like that's you're coming out of that corner onto the main straightaway of Indianapolis. So you know you've got a long straight coming out of that corner, um, and you know you don't want to sacrifice any speed. You don't want to be laying off the throttle at all because that's going to allow people to just blow right by you, right past you. And yeah, and one of the one of the funkier ideas I was reading up on that they had was to use the pit lane and the pit row as kind of a workaround and because the pit is right on uh turn 13 right where this was all happening so it was suggested at one point that the cars could just use the pit lane as a drive-through and just you know they'd have to mine their speeds through there but i mean what a what a dangerous ridiculous idea to think oh yeah you know, 14 they, cars i think they were just trying to throw everything in the kitchen sink at this issue to try and get Michelin teams to run the race. Right. Right. So they say no to all that, right? We, we yep. head into Sunday yep. and we're shut down. There's 130,000, uh, Texas or not Texas. I think it's in Texas for some reason. Indianans. Is that where we are in Indiana? Would they be in Indiana? I, Indiana. Yep. Yeah. And so they're, they're packed in. I mean, it was sold out. And I'm, I, I saw between a hundred and 130,000 on hand for Sunday afternoon. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you look back at those the pictures from that event and the grandstands there are just jam-packed with people. Jam-packed. It's kind of, 
I just so why did they? Here's my question. They show up on Sunday, and we've got we know there's this issue, and we know that these teams aren't going to run the race. Why even come out for the formation lap? Why why not announce it before people get to the track that hey, this is going to be different. You can um, because I think it was kind of it was kind of an inside job. You know, uh, they the a lot of the Michelin teams kind of got all the team principals got together and they were like, hey, like this is obviously going to be a safety issue for us. And there's no really other way of getting around this other than taking penalties during the race for changing our tires um, during pit stops, which we can't do. So let's do the formation lap and then come in at the end of the formation lap and, you know, just pack the cars up. And that's eventually what, that's eventually what happened. That's what you see is six cars pulling up to the, to the starting grid (laughs) <laughs> it's it's if you look at the videos or any pictures of it or anything it looks surreal it looks like um you know i don't know what the equivalent would be whatever sport you want to take, take. i i think i think the the only equivalent that i can think of is hamilton and hungary in 2021 when it, it started to rain and so the track was wet everybody was on intermediates and they do the formation lap, but the sun's out and the track is getting like super dry. There's like no water on the track anymore. And everybody ducks into the pits to get dry tires on and start from the pit lane. But Hamilton's the only one who doesn't. And he's sitting there on the grid all alone to start oh, this race. Really? When was this? I'm writing that down. What? Uh, Hungary in 2021. That's too funny. Oh, I think, I think had, yeah. it's when uh, Esteban Ocon got his race victory for Alpine. That's incredible. That's, I mean, it's it's bizarre. And anytime you see a starting grid with less than, you know, all the cars out there, it just feels weird. And it, it does. Looks weird. It really feels weird. And can you imagine, though, you're a fan and you, you just you spent all this money and time and effort and you get in there and you look down. So I was reading that by lap 10, people were leaving the track and going. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and I, don't, I don't blame them. I mean, it was a two-horse race unless, you know, some mechanical – fault happened with both Ferraris, which just was not going to happen. Um, you know, it was just a race between the two Ferraris and it ended up being actually pretty close. Um, Schumacher got Barrichello on his last pit stop and forced him onto the grass at turn one in order to take the lead back. <laughs> and, and, from that point on, and from that point on, the, the team principal and whoever else was on the pit wall was like, Hey, we need the, calm down we're like we're the only two cars that are really competing here so let's not take each other out you're gonna crash out we'll be the only two this this is this is a freebie as far as points go to get back in the championship fight well that's it you know you don't want to let that go that's it like so in a way it kind of compromises the whole season that oh yeah and i don't know you might know better than i do what the impact was on the end result of the of the season but it when you're only playing with with half the deck, it's, it definitely has an impact on the rest of the year. So, ultimately, it didn't really affect the championship. Alonso and Renault still pulled off a double in 2005. Um, a double being driver's championship and a constructor's championship in the same year. Um, but... I, can you imagine had it been the other way around? Had Ferrari and Michael Schumacher been able to win the championships by, I don't know, like five, six points or or less, 
And just from one race, from one. And the only race. reason being was because Renault decided to not run in one of the events. Unbelievable. That so would have, that would have been crazy. I can't I can't imagine, and it's it's just it's crazy to me how bungled the whole thing was, kind of from top to bottom. It seemed like there were a yeah, lot. Yeah, it was of, very it was very very messy. Yeah, like sometimes things like this happen, and there's a workaround. And I was wondering, and maybe you know, but. Why couldn't they just, for one weekend, slap some Bridgestones on those cars and say, is that just, would it be a breach of contract, you think? Or was there, they don't fit um, the car? Maybe? I'm sure there was a little bit of both, to be honest. And I'm sure that, you know, the, the Michelins, kind of like how Bridgestone the year before designed the Michelin, the, had designed the Bridgestones really specifically for Ferrari to be able to use, and no other team could get them to work right. It was kind of the same thing with the Michelins the next year in 2005. Um, they were really, really good on the Renault um, just because they were geared more towards Alonso's driving style. And if you watch Alonso's driving, driving style from back in those days, and he does it a little bit now and then currently, but definitely back then he would kind of induce a lot of understeer in the beginning phase of the corner. So like when he would arrive at a corner, like a sharp, like a hairpin, for instance, you can watch him turn the steering wheel all the way to one side, like really quick. And the car looks like it's going to kind of keep going straight. Like you get a lot of understeer. And then what that does is you load up the tire on the outside and generate a lot of heat into it. And then by the time you get it slowed down, it just bites and it can turn really quick on a dime. And he was able to just get this thing to just snap around like really quick and get it pointed where he wanted to go and get on the throttle before anybody else was able to. That's a huge advantage. That's a huge, it it was huge. And especially if you're custom making it's a very, it's a very unique driving style. I mean, I, I urge you to go and look at some of his older onboard stuff and you'll see what I mean where he arrives at a corner and he just cranks the wheel to one side. And, you know, you can kind of see the car wanting to go straight for a second and then you can see it bite. It's it's really interesting. So then that would not be, that would not work on turn 13 in Indianapolis. He'd he'd be blowing that tire out in in no time. It's... uh, that's so. That's interesting. That I didn't realize that tires could be made to set for kind of specific drivers and their styles. And you know, I'm the guy that thinks that, hey, I'm going to help Mercedes by you know 3D printing a new side pod for him. So it's uh, the same thing with tires. I didn't realize they could be so specifically geared down to a driver, a driver style. You know, the, the it's, well, it's it's like what I mentioned before. I think I've said it before on one of the other podcasts where Bridgestone made these tires for a Ferrari that, you know, they were meant to do qualifying laps the entire race. They were like a very soft compound, but they were made to give you a ton of grip and they wore out pretty quick, but it didn't matter because they could come in and do three or four stops in a race. I think they had a four stop race and still won, which you don't hear of anymore, but it was because they could put as little amount of fuel in the car as possible to get them to the next pit stop. So I just do qualifying lap after qualifying lap. What about in today's um, today's Formula One? Are those compounds? It would be impossible. Yeah, and those are everyone's running the same soft, medium, yep. hards, right? There's not any we, difference. Everybody's been running Pirellis since I think it was like 2011 when they took over. 
So do you think that's better mm-hmm. to have everyone on the same on the same tires? Um, there's definitely pros and cons. I mean, I I think a lot of people miss the whole uh, tire wars that were <laughs> going on. Um, it was very interesting, and you know, it, it added an extra dynamic because both tires had pros and cons and things that they were good at and things that they weren't as good at. Um, sure. I think that going with one compound or one tire supplier being Pirelli um, is really kind of taken one of those strategy elements out of Formula One. Um, I'm right. just glad they've been given more fuel to use the, because like in the early stages of the turbo hybrid era, you know, they had a little bit less fuel on board to last a race and they all the drivers are always complaining oh, i can't push the car 100 percent the entire race distance i have to like manage the fuel manage the fuel manage the fuel manage the tires manage the fuel and it was just like who can it became more of a race of how who's managing things the best as far as who has the best outright pace that's interesting and they finally gave them more fuel and they could actually like just wring the neck of the thing the entire race um i was looking at um like you said about about schumacher and just i saw that they said he took a you know pit stops in 2005 and it said something like it was like really quick 33 seconds or something like that and i my eyes rolled back in my head because these days it's like you know (laughs) three seconds so what happened during a pit stop so back in then so i think that time is taking into the account like from the moment you enter the pit lane to the moment you that you leave it Sure. Um, it's normally referred to as the the pit stop delta. Um, right. right. I, you'll hear Brundle and Crofty say it on the broadcast every now and then. Um, but I think that's really re- just referring to how long it takes from for you to get from the entrance of the pit lane, make your stop, and then once you're off the pit limiter. Um, back then, you're running were, one one set of tires. What are you doing at a pit stop? What was happening? Just to the just car? refueling. That's it. Just refueling. Yep. They were just doing however many gallons of fuel or liters and sending you on your way. That's crazy. I watched that guy. I saw a NASCAR. I was watching uh, pit stops on YouTube for some reason the other night. And watching NASCAR, it's like, why don't they just, you know, take a nap and let them know when the pit stop's over? <laughs> crazy. Crazy how different I, I will, everyone. I, I will say, though, watching those NASCAR pit stops is pretty fun. The, at least when they were using the five lugs instead of the single lug that they've been running the past couple of years where, you know, you have all, f- all, all the tire changes, pew, 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 pew. Yeah. You just going, I mean, they're going like crazy. Pretty, uh, pretty precise and, and, uh, oh, yeah. skillful, skillful work. Yeah. But, uh, anyways, they get back to Indianapolis. We got a little bit sidetracked there. I think for the betterment though. Huh. Oh, I, it won't be the first or the, or the last time. No, um, definitely not. <laughs> but so that was Schumacher's only win of the year, too, right? Two thousand five. Because I'm looking at it. I don't it, think says, so. I th- said it was Schumacher's only win of two thousand five. Wow. He went from fifth to third at the drivers, but he had won uh, the Indy Grand Prix three consecutive years, so he really did like that track. Yes. But. Yep. It's interesting because when I think of Schumacher, I think he was just dominating, and two thousand five seems to be right in his. Is that a little late in the career? Is that the windows closing? Yeah, a bit? that was that was when the tide started to shift to Alonso and Renault was two thousand and five, and I think I like in my first podcast, I think I said um, something along the lines of the everybody kind of compares 
his Ferrari years compared to how Hamilton was so dominant with sure. Mercedes for eight years, but it wasn't at all the same. I mean, yeah, they had arguably the best car, but the competition was usually a lot closer. And like Montoya with Williams and McLaren was always challenging for poles and for wins. Same with Raikkonen when he was there. Um, but like, if you look back, it was a lot closer than a lot of people say, um, certainly a lot closer than what it was from like 2014 to 2018 when all you had to really guess was which Mercedes teammate was going to be who wins. Right. Right. That's true. And one, one thing I thought was kind of neat was I, I think the last name was Montero. Um, he, yep. Well, he stayed, Tiago Montero. yeah, he stayed behind at the, po- he was like the only guy at the podium celebrating, having a good time. Because yep. it was his first and only podium finish. In first an, and only. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine that being your first and only podium and it's like... Uh, hey, no... you know what? In, in a sport like Formula 1, as cutthroat as it is, you never know. You're probably never going to get that chance again. I would celebrate like it's a victory. Soak it up. Yeah. Soak oh, it yeah. up. Absolutely soak it up. It's just you, you wish those people didn't leave the stands and uh, had a yeah. few more few more there to celebrate with them. but. So it's, you can't, it's, can't blame him for leaving at the same time. I mean, the minorities in fifth and sixth place were two laps down at the end of the race. That's, and that's what they were saying was that people started leaving and the police had to deal with like crowd control at the ticket offices. People were stamp, like stampeding to try to get refunds. And what happened was they announced uh, that they would uh, have compensation to anyone who purchased tickets. Michelin did. So Michelin actually refunded anyone who went oh, to no that shit, race. Really? yeah yeah michelin on june wow. 28th yeah so a few weeks later and then the 2005 champ car world series do you know what this is yeah uh, that was that was kind of they were at war with indycar for a little while champ car and indy were at war for a little bit they gave everybody free admission to the cleveland grand prix if they had a uh a formula 1 stub from from this race so i thought that was pretty see, cool see now that's cool because champ car back in the day was fantastic to watch there was a lot of it's it was kind of it was pretty close to being the same as indycar at the same point in time uh the cars were a little bit different but the kind of the dna was the same in a sense um it was just a split as far as champ car and indycar and they eventually merged back together, but there was definitely a split for a long time. Oh, I didn't know they merged after that. I wasn't sure if they just faded or... Uh... Oh, that's cool. That's that's interesting, because they did. They gave everyone free admission, and that's like, you know, that's huge. to, to get That is huge. Get people to watch your product and to show them that we care about what's going on. And I a big believe deal. that the, the Champ Car Cleveland race was on an airfield like an airport and they so it was on runways and stuff like that so like oh wow i i have to go back and look at the youtube of it again but you know being on a runway going to a sharp corner you can have like eight cars wide and get through no problem so the racing was pretty spectacular oh that's cool i'm gonna have to go back and check out some champ car stuff see what that was all about because um just something you know i saw that today and said that I, i've never heard of it and it must have come and gone pretty quickly but i thought it was neat that they were yeah it wasn't around for a long time but a lot of the indycar fans today look back on it and think man that's 
that was some pretty awesome stuff huh. back in the day. Interesting. Kind of like the XFL or something. They came and went, yep. but there was cool stuff going on. Huh. Exactly. So how did this all... What happened, like, the, the fallout, as far as you know, with, like, the future of Formula One in the U.S.? Did this put a dent in... It the... put a huge dent in... Yeah. I mean, the last race in Indianapolis was 2007, and we didn't get a race in the States again for five years after that, in 2012, at oh, wow. Austin. Um, wow. But there's a lot of, like, oh, man... Like, if we go back, like, where are we going to go? Because we could go back to Indianapolis, but, uh, you know, right. we have some bad history there. Yeah, um, bad taste in everyone's mouth, kind of, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So there's a lot of hesitance from not just the FIA and Formula One, but also from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as well, as far as do we want? do we even want these guys to come back? Because what if something like that happens again? Like, then we're screwed right all right we've got a, a real fire festival on our hands or something if it happens again it's going to be a disaster yep. and uh but now it's amazing to think we have we're gonna have three grand prix in the states this year is that yep austin miami I, and vegas right yep and a lot you know a lot of, i see a lot of complaints about that on like instagram and facebook about people saying oh the united states has three races now oh my god but you have to remember that the united states is geographically the same size as europe so <laughs> right when you think about like each country in europe is basically like a state in the united states right right and i mean right if you think about las vegas austin and miami they really kind of represent the the west the east and the center of the country so it's wouldn't be yeah. any different yeah it is because it doesn't now now would i like to have a race somewhere else other than i don't know miami or vegas Sure. I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of tracks to select from as far as, you know, could host Formula One, but they have to get up to an FIA grade one standard. Um, right. But for the time being, I like the fact that it's in Vegas because I think that that's going to be an awesome night race. It's going to look fantastic going down the strip at night. Um, oh, crazy. I, can, I, I think visually it's going to be one of the greatest spectacles of the season um I, you know miami is it's a pretty good race i think that you know the circuit could use some tweaking but um for being built around hard rock stadium it's pretty good and obviously circuit of the americas is just it's a great racetrack it's a blend of a bunch of different circuits um that all drivers love and obviously has that iconic first turn that climbs the hill and goes into the hairpin you know there's a lot to like about that track too so i think that the more popular that formula one becomes in the united states the more you're gonna see fans wanting grand prix in different areas too right no and that makes sense because these are i mean we're talking about some of the most expensive cities in the country and expensive expensive weekends you know i know that i i looked at the vegas um, just trying to get in for the weekend. It's exorbitant, but um, I was thinking about maybe trying to book a hotel room that's facing the track and just watching from, 
you know, 20 stories up or something, but (laughs) that'd be pretty cool. But, you know, I think it's going to be pretty expensive. (laughs) It's crazy. But, you know, the one thing I do know about Vegas is it's fairly cheap to fly into and the hotels are fairly cheap. So if you're there, really? Yeah, because it's they want you there, right? They want you to spend your money otherwise. They want you to get there. That's true. Stay there and then spend your money on everything else. So. I, you, I took a brief look at it. I think I saw like Caesars putting a package together. It was like a hundred thousand dollars for the whole weekend or stuff like that. I was like, holy moly! Jeez, and <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, so you're getting twenty five thousand dollars worth of value every day. My God, yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. I better be able to sit and drive in the car at that point. You know, get a car. Just take one home with you after the race. You get yeah. your pick. Take yeah. home a McLaren or something. <laughs> You know, there's a guy that lives right around the corner from me. I've sent you a picture before, but he's got a McLaren supercar, and it is, uh, boy, it definitely it's the show pony going down the street. It's 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 a head turner, man. It's pretty nice, but oh yeah, I don't know those cars are. I don't know how why he drives it around town because he's just putting miles on. Anyway, where I'm, but it's a nice car. And uh, speaking of nice cars and race cars and going fast, we do have a Grand Prix finally this weekend. In, oh my god it's about time <laughs> yeah, so i know i know felt like forever it did and i i had mentally kind of checked it off as last weekend so i was disappointed when i kind of looked at the calendar and realized we have to skip ahead i think i did that too i was like oh man one more week and you and you told me two more weeks i was like oh my god <laughs> yeah i know but then i think they but start coming it's fast. finally race week it is race week people we are here it's the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. We've made it. So what are you looking for excited. this weekend? Yeah, we are. What what are you looking for? What uh what do you expect to see out of uh I guess everybody? I'm excited for the sprint race. I think it's the new setup for the sprint race is gonna be very intriguing. Um I think that we'll I've done some more looking into it. I think it will get more out of the drivers from in the sprint race. Um they'll be able to push a little bit more in the sprint race and kinda not have to be reserved so much to save their starting position for the Grand Prix. It's kind of just a bonus race, and they get to go for it. So, and that's um, that's all going down on Saturday, right? That's the qualifying and sprint yes. happen on the same. That's that's awesome. That makes. I, I good like Saturday. that. I like that too because, you know, I think that, I th- I think it's only a sixty minute session for qualifying. I don't know. If, if they're modifying the Q1, Q2, Q3. They are. I, I saw that they're going 12 minutes, 10 minutes, 8 minutes for Q. Ooh, yeah. That makes it spicy. Right, right. So it's just, it's, and I think it's going to be fascinating having the qualifying for the for the Grand Prix on Friday. So you're running qualifying laps on Friday and Saturday and a sprint. I mean, you're going to see some, some movement and even if you have a bad qualifying friday you still have a lot to drive for i I think i think i like the one practice before qualifying because it gives teams a lot less time to really get set up for the whole weekend and you know and and like i think we said the last time that it gives people an incentive to tune in because it's not just an hour of cars cruising around the track doing race simulations because not everybody's interested in that stuff. People just want to see these cars going fast and being pushed to the limit. Right. And I think that a lot of these teams are going to want to get out of the trailers and get these things like spot on qualifying trim almost right away. Do like some quick racing simulations and then just go straight into qualifying mode. 
Well, and I think it's a great way to break out of the four-week gap here. You know, everyone's been waiting for Absolutely. some action. They're like, you want the action? Here it comes. You know, it's it's not going to oh, yeah. be waiting Thick around. Thick and heavy. So what time's that Grand Prix start for you on the East Coast? Do you know? Do you oh, know any of the I, had to lo- I would have to look at it again. Um, I, think- I usually just check, like, the day before and make sure that I'm ready for it. Or I go based off of the practices and qualifying sessions. Yeah, I think it's an early one for us out here, um, like four or five in the morning. So it looks like the sprint is at 9.30 in the morning on Saturday, and then the race is at 7 a.m. on Sunday. Oh, wow. That's not bad. If if you like the morning, it's, you know, I've got to say, I've come to like the mornings with Formula One. You know, we, we... we make a little breakfast, we set up, we hang out. It's, it's a nice way to start your Sunday morning or Saturday morning now. Oh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, though, that watching that Vegas Grand Prix from the East Coast is going to be a little bit challenging. <laughs> oh, I bet. Oh, that's I didn't even think of that. Well, welcome to my world. I'm, I'm, it's, well, uh, it's, it's like how, you know, if a race starts, you know, like the British Grand Prix, it's wonderful because it's like, it's around the time I'm getting up in the morning, I can just you know, I can get up and take my time getting ready for the day and then I can just come in here and watch the race. But right. some of the races that are over like in Asia, like Japan and stuff like that, those are gonna be some those are gonna be like early, early morning races. It's tough. Like one thirty in the morning, Saturday night, you know. The issue I'm having now too is is last year I would just record them, watch them in the morning, but now I've got so many alerts and so many friends that are into it, there's no way I oh, can yeah. get through it spoiler free, you know. That's, that's what I've had to kind of adapt to is because like I always, you know, if I haven't watched the race live, I'm always like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to block out all the notifications huh. and then like I jump on like Facebook and of course it's like the first thing that loads is Hamilton wins or Verstappen wins. I'm just like, oh God. <laughs> you don't even consciously do it. You just hit the no. hit the app and then boom, it's right in your face. Yeah. it's Yep. I know you I almost have to you. like You almost have to like scream and scroll like, ah, no, you know. <laughs> You can't look for any information that day. You kind of have to just be ignorant to everything because you could go on a news website, a non-sports, yep. and you still, it's becoming such part of the popular culture that, you know, I, I, I know yeah. I text oh, yeah. you all the time, hey, I'm, I'm not watching this race live, so don't yep. don't say anything, you know. But. I, I, I love I love the Australia race where, you know, um, I think you watched it like the day before I did or something like that, yeah. and so yeah. I watched it later than you. I was like, "Oh my god, Ferrari again!" <laughs> like thirty <laughs> seconds, like thirty seconds in. Oh man. <laughs> so, <laughs> what? Uh, what do you think? What is is? And I know we'll get into it more in the future, but you think this is? In my opinion, I don't know if you saw my post, but I've got a feeling this is going to be Red Bull really just uh, putting the putting the hurting on everyone this weekend. Yeah, I think that. Given how straight line heavy this track is, yes, it has the tighter sections once you get off the straights and whatever else, but that long front straight is heavily Red Bull favored. Um, I can see Aston Martin crawling some some time back in the other areas of the track, but I mean, I think Red Bull is going to walk away with it. Yeah, yeah. But, I guess I guess we'll see. We'll see. I mean, anything can happen in these races, and I think we've seen it so far this year too. Oh, somewhat. it's been nuts. It's, it is, and it's um, even even the best laid plans never go the way people or teams or drivers expect them to. It's pretty. It's been crazy already this year, really. 
But. It really has been. I mean, I, I know that it's been Rebel domination, but aside from them, it's been really intriguing as far as Aston Martin jumping up to being the second best car with Fernando Alonso, like right up there in the championship fight. You know, and he's only a couple of bad race weekends for Max for stepping away from being real tight in the championship. Um, it's really amazing. That's really the story of the year. So it's far. great. It's, it's great. great for the sport too, and it's you know when when you watch, you're kind of watching for that chaos and watching for someone to to shake things up. And he's definitely the uh, the shaker of things this year for sure. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking forward to it. I'm just glad to have something bad oh, me too. to watch. You know, we're inching our way there too, which is five five thirty in the morning on Fridays when first practice starts. So, oh, good two thirty. I'll be, 30 I'll be just clocking in the work. It's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been looking forward to this one like longer than when I was a kid. I would look forward Me to too. Christmas. You know, like I'd be like, "Oh, Christmas is in twenty five days. This has been twenty eight days." You know, so, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, I'm so I'm so happy it's race week, and you know, I look forward to just soaking in the whole weekend and really diving diving into, you know, what teams bring upgrades. I think Ferrari is bringing an upgrade. Oh, and I. I can't remember which teams are bringing upgrades. Maybe McLaren too, or they're saving that for Imola. I, I know that a bunch of teams are bringing stuff to Imola for upgrades. I, heard, I, I know McLaren. I remember seeing something about a couple of the teams bringing stuff for this weekend. That would be nice. It would be nice. That I mean, you we get set up, and all of a sudden we've got new cars, new parts on the track, and it's been a that could really change things up. You never know. Oh man, I hope so. I hope so. Hopefully for your Ferrari. Uh, squad over there that they can oh, i'm praying to the italian gods right now what are I you think every every tifosi member probably is too they're going please don't let this be another one of these years i know it it's just some consistency <laughs> yeah yeah and then the other thing is like on the mercedes end of it it's like they're consistent but they're consistently like just kind of slow you know like well, like they just they just reorganized their technical staff um right. james allison is the technical the technical director now um he's going to be the one who's in charge of all or oversees the technical development of the car now um so i think that could be a good thing for them i don't know how well he's gonna or how quickly he'll be able to rescue that but i think that it's definitely a step in the right direction it's uh, you know, but when you're shaking things up this early in the year too, it's it's a step in the direction of. They've been panicking all year, if I'm being honest. I think they. Well, they... they've been panicking since like last year too. <laughs> I mean, they had they knew they were gonna have the same problem as last year. They thought they they cried all year last year about oh our car is bouncing all the time. We can't get a handle on the porpoising, so they need the they need the FIA to make some change to the floor height and. They're still slow. So, I mean. Yeah. And and it's Aston Martin is right there to pick up the pieces. So, yep, it's beautiful. But uh, I suppose until I'll give you a couple days here to kind of decompress and get ready for race weekend. You got anything yeah. else you want to add to uh, any shout outs or anything you want to we missed? Um, I don't know. But if Will Power keeps liking our posts, I think we're going to have to try and get him on one of these episodes. I know he's an IndyCar guy, but I still think it would be pretty awesome to have somebody with open wheel experience on the show. We'll take anybody. If you're out there listening oh, and yeah, you want to talk, if you want to talk about anything motorsport, we'll, we'd love to have you send in questions or 
email questions. We've been getting some interaction, which is great. You know, I love seeing people. That's fantastic. And um, the, the the more interaction, the better for us. So well, that's what we want. And we better wanna... for you guys, ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess with that, we will bid you adieu until uh, next weekend or this weekend. Sounds great. Or whenever. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking in a couple of days, getting ready for Baku and uh, see how this weekend goes. Sounds good. Until then, I guess we are going to get on out of here. All right. See you, buddy. This has been another Green Flag edition of the F1 Funcast. If you'd like to join us or share your thoughts with the F1 Funcast crew, please email us at f1funcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And if you'd like to get in touch with the crew chief, you can find him on Instagram at Connor Gagnon. That's C-O-N-N-O-R-G-A-G-N-O-N, all one word. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.